it must be obvious to even the most casual observers that I get the answers to life's difficult questions from the screaming voices in my head. Hello everybody and welcome to The Upside of Irrelevance. I'm your host, Oshna. Welcome back if you are an avid listener and welcome if you're new. Today, we're going to be talking about why Pride and Prejudice remains to be such a popular book whilst being so boring, I could not get through it. Now, this is purely my opinion. I found Pride and Prejudice boring, but even if you liked it, I think you'll enjoy this episode because I'm going to talk about the publishing history and the reception of the novel. And I'm going to talk about why it is still so relevant in today's society. So, without preamble, let us begin. Pride and Prejudice is one of the most popular novels in the English language. Over 200 years after its publication, it continues to win the hearts and minds of readers around the world thanks to its delightful heroine, unforgettable cast of comic characters, witty dialogue, and satisfying romantic plot. Publishing History So the publishing history of this book is very generic and it is very relative. I don't want to say relevant, but it is very ubiquitous even in today's times. And you'll find that as you listen through the whole publishing history. But it's not very unique. Just keep that in mind. And yes, let's talk about it. According to family tradition, Jane Austen began writing First Impressions, the novel we now know today as Pride and Prejudice, in October 1796 at the age of 20. She completed it in August 1797, just 10 months later. Believing his daughter's work worthy of publication, the Reverend George Austin wrote a query letter on November 1st, 1797 to the London publisher Cadell and Davies, offering to send a manuscript comprised in three volumes about the length of Miss Burney's Evelina, if there was any interest in publishing it. Austin's offer was, however, rejected by the return mail. Jane Austen continued to work. Encouraged by the publication of Sense and Sensibility in 1811, Austen, quote, locked and cropped, end quote, and significantly revised the manuscript of First Impressions in 1811 and 1812, changing its title to Pride and Prejudice, which is a much snappier title in my opinion, to avoid duplicating of the book written in 1800. Based on the success of her first novel, Thomas Egerton offered Jane Austen £110 for the copyright to Pride and Prejudice. In return, he would pray for printing and advertising the novel himself and keep the profits, relieving the author and her brother Henry from the onus of managing the publication process. Austen agreed to the arrangement and the novel was announced for sale in an ad in the Morning Chronicle on January 28, 1813. A three-volume set priced at 18 shillings. The title page credited the novel to the author of Sense and Sensibility. Pride and Prejudice was so well received that Egerton published a second edition in the fall of 1813 and a third edition in 1817. Unfortunately, the publisher made more money on Pride and Prejudice than the author ever did. Even so, the release of her second novel was a joyful event for the then 37-year-old author. Again, the publication process was very, very generic. This happens even today, you know, authors, they have to chop off bits of their novel and change the title and whatnot in order to sell it, which, I mean, hazards of the job, definitely. And it's not very unique, but I do think it's quite significant 
in the future when it comes to like her future novels this um way the way she gave up all the rights to her novel she overestimated one of her future books and she did not give up the rights of that novel and she ended up making a loss on that i'm not certain of the exact book i'm talking about here but yeah this whole process did sort of bite her in the ass later on but again very ubiquitous in the publishing industry the book as well was received very well obviously and favorable reviews by literary critics and word of mouth promotion made pride and prejudice fashionable and the first edition sold out in less than a year like i said the author, the publisher had to print out two three and further more copies of the book from the beginning enthusiasm for pride and prejudice centered on its realism and wit the critical review described it as quote very superior to any novel we have lately met with in the delineation of domestic scenes end quote its natural portrayal of characters scenes and dialogue set it apart from other works including gothic novels that were so popular at the time critics and readers alike were also charmed by the heroine elizabeth bennet in a letter to her sister cassandra written the day after the novel was published jane austen's pride in her accomplishment is evident quote I must confess that I think her referring to Elizabeth as delightful a creature as ever appeared in print and how I shall be able to tolerate those who do not like her at least I do not know end quote a week later she admitted to being quite vain and well satisfied enough overall with the book over 200 years later we are also well satisfied with pride and prejudice and elizabeth is considered by millions of readers to be one of the most delightful heroines in fiction now this is something that was i think this is not common knowledge but i think most people do understand where pride and prejudice came from and first impressions again let's talk about the title a little bit i do think it was a very good title simply because it is i do find it to be more apt as compared to pride and prejudice because even though pride and prejudice is a very good title um a little first impressions i find find it first impressions to be a little bit more apt for the book because it basically tells you about how all these characters they judge each other based on their first impressions of each other and uh, and those assumptions come to bite them in the ass later i don't know and those assumptions do squarely betray them after a while and the whole reason that pride and prejudice is it is such a ubiquitous mention when it comes to love stories especially is because it delivers one of the best there's a whole build up of tension in the central conflict of the story as two parties construct impressions of each other based on scant and unreliable information the reader may or may not get an inkling of the truth in a politely reserved give and take then there's the anticipation as they appear to be approaching to the point where an explosion seems inevitable and one side or the other must get their come upends though it keeps getting delayed then finally the release the confused combination of joy and misgivings as everything one or both characters and possibly the reader has believed in is swept aside and new possibilities are sighted but not finally after all the austin doesn't leave it there it's not settled at that point it's just set up for the last quarter of the story in which the relationship is barely stitched together new plot twists appear more misunderstandings arise and we're all uncertain how far our central twosome can go in overcoming the damage done now the story behind pride and prejudice um is 
something that's very um very well written because the at the time finding a compatible life mate meant finding someone whose character and predispositions already suits one's own like for example the eldest bennet sister jane is a sweet placid character suited perfectly for the attentions of a good-natured pliant mr bingley mr collins is a pompous obsequious ass with a wealthy patron and is lucky to find a mate in elizabeth's friend charlotte who cares naughty for love only for security mr and mrs bennet have as mentioned well-matched complementary characters the frivolous flirtatious rascals lydia and wickham are peas in a pod though perhaps too similarly self-centered to last as a couple it is hinted and so on only elizabeth and mr darcy have to overcome their deficiencies and illusions in order to finally be able to come together it may be pointed out though that their struggles are are really to wipe away false impressions to get at the real characters if they have been set and at first drew them together and in general if you look at jane austen novels much is said of love and the need for love and understanding in the conjoining of people but in pride and prejudice it just seems that the emotional outburst that comes when two eligible people recognize their pre-established compatibility of the character not exactly a ringing endorsement for the institution of marriage but it does make for an engaging novel now pride and prejudice like let's talk about why it's so fucking popular like i mean sure it's a good book but there's better books i'm sorry but there are better books and i i swear to god everybody's seen heard read something about pride and prejudice like everybody can name it and it is a universally acknowledged truth that everyone at least once in their life has come across a copy of pride and prejudice by jane austen it could be in your school library your friend might have it your friend must might be quoting it it could be i don't know maybe somebody's like reading it in on a table next to you or someone's talking about the movie somebody's talking about kira knightley it that's how it works and hence pride and prejudice has this ubiquity which makes its relevance eternal So let us talk about the eternal relevance of Pride and Prejudice. Number one, it is a novel about reading. One of the biggest focuses of the novel is how reading can impact someone tremendously. The protagonist Elizabeth is a reader. She rejects a card game to abandon herself to reading, which is a very extraordinary thing to do in a society where women were really not encouraged to read. She stands out. She stands out against Caroline Bingley, whose only intention is to attract Mr. Darcy. as she ironically claims i declare after all there is no enjoyment like reading how much sooner one tires of anything than of a book when i have a house of my own i shall be miserable if i have not an excellent library and quote know that she casts aside the book the moment mr darcy is not looking however elizabeth is not fake and she does not go out of her way to prove that she is a reader Instead of engaging with Mr Darcy when he wishes to converse with her about literature when they are at the ball she says no i cannot talk of books in a ballroom my head is always full of something else number 2 and this one i feel like this one um this one's the primary reason and yeah number 2 it's the ultimate rom-com blending the elements of romance sarcasm and comedy jane austen presents one of her most skillful works in writing pride and prejudice The story at its core focuses on how both Elizabeth and Mr Darcy have to let go of their own respective pride and prejudice in order to be together. The narrative is centered around a lot of misunderstandings that are probably the only obstacles in the union of the two. 
And by the end of the novel, we see both of the characters evolve emotionally as they learn and unlearn their perspective towards each other, and by extension, the world. The novel is also very fun with Mr. Bennett's realistic comments like, For what do we live? But to make a sport of our neighbors and laugh at them in our turn. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I have heard you mention them with consideration for at least 20 years, at the very, very least. I'm sorry, I made up the last little bit in that, but like, I don't know, I feel like I wanted to add like a little bit. Not that it's not iconic enough already, but yeah. And talking about quotes, memorable quotes. Literally, everybody can acknowledge that Pride and Prejudice has very good quotes. And Pride and Prejudice has one of the most popular collection of quotes throughout the novel, right from the very opening lines. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. The dripping irony and sarcasm set the tone for the rest of the novel, and Austin does not disappoint. Or this one, he is a gentleman and I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. Austin's writing style is ornate, and she could have only employed the use of sarcasm without sounding too pretentious. Number four, well-written characters. The brilliance of the novel is in the fact that the characters are relatable. We have met people like them in our lives as well. Mrs. Bennet being the archetypal, over-enthusiastic aunt whose only purpose in life is marriage. Indians, Desis, do we relate? Yes. Mr. Bennet being the detached yet loving father to his daughters with a favourable attitude towards one of them. Lydia, a 16-year-old smitten with handsome army officers. Wickham with his playboyish charms and more of such relatable characters. You never feel for once that it is a new character. These are people we have met and probably understood. I can actually see these people like in my school. They fit into the preordained expectations of society in the preordained groups. Now, next point. Point number five, harsh realities. While the fate of the Bennet sisters being married into wealth seems amusing, the novel also talks about the fate of Elizabeth's friend Charlotte, whose position is not so great in the societal hierarchy. She makes a prudent choice in marrying Mr. Collins, to the disappointment of Elizabeth, whose romanticism deludes her to be unable to understand Charlotte's situation. She is the daughter of a retired knight and too educated to marry a working man beneath her social standing. At the same time, she is average looking, so she fails to get matched with someone of the upper class. Her only choice is compromise, and we see this situation often in many marriages and matches, alliteration there, so sorry, which makes this novel so real. Now that we've talked about some of the main points as to why it is so relevant, I hate saying that word. I mean, I don't hate it too much, considering it's literally the name of my podcast, but I do kind of hate that word, because what what is relevance, honestly? What is relevance? Then another reason is that, I mean, now I'm just going to spitball a little bit, but I'm going to talk about like some of the reasons I find Pride and Prejudice to be so relevant in today's society. Okay, so the first one is that the next time someone dismisses Pride and Prejudice as a fussy old story about the breeding habits of early 19th century Brits, point out that the novel's villain, quote-unquote villain, George Wickham, would probably be arrested today as a serial pedophile. An army officer in his 20s, Wickham is a smooth operator who tries to seduce underage girls for fun and profit. Though he fails to lure Mr. Darcy's 15-year-old elder sister into marriage, Wickham succeeds in deflowering and shacking up with Elizabeth's 16-year-old sister Lydia without the benefit of the clergy, 
thanks to her animal spirits, which I mean, we've, we've seen that. We've seen that. We've seen that happen. Grooming, um, who is she? And another reason I do find that Pride Prejudice is so hyped up, it's because of the fact that it does have the ultimate happily ever after. And it established the template essentially for an infinity of romance novels, yet no subsequent love story has ever come close to equaling the delights of the original. It basically shows the opposites attract situation. So Mr. Darcy is sullen and arrogant. Elizabeth is vivacious and charming. He is rich. She is poor. He is madly in love and she can't bear him. In a scene both dramatic and hilarious, Elizabeth squashes Mr. Darcy's massive pride when she rejects his first proposal. To win her, Mr. Darcy is forced to change, to become more polite and kind. But Elizabeth also changes, though her journey from prejudice is less visible. Also, don't like call the Bennett sisters, kind of remind you of the Kardashians. I don't know. I don't know. I, I heard someone like compare the two and I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And you know what? You can, and I feel like you can also divide the world in like dire romantics who adore passionate Bronte tales about women yearning for tormented psychopaths like Heathcliff and the more pragmatic souls who admire Elizabeth's decision to marry for love and money. Readers know that Austin, who never married, disapproves of Elizabeth's friend Charlotte Lucas's decision to marry, uh, and I quote, conceited, pompous, narrow-minded, silly man, end quote, simply for money. Mr. Darcy, however, wouldn't be Mr. Darcy without the ka-ching of £10,000 a year and the biggest state up north. Elizabeth herself jokes about her change of heart regarding Darcy. Quote, I believe I must date it from my first seeing his beautiful grounds at Pemberley. End quote. I mean, Lizzie, Lizzie. Come on. And you know what? Another thing that I think made this book so friggin' popular was just the fact that people loved to just like sit around and dance and eat and drink at the time. Like name one activity that Darcy, Bingley, Lucas, Mr. Bennett, they all avoided work. They visit ladies. They hunt birds. They attend balls. They ride horses. They travel. The one worker bee in the bunch Elizabeth's uncle, Mr. Gardiner, is socially handicapped because of that icky thing called his job. Even military life appears to be a social club for swanky young studs. Pretty remarkable since Pride and Prejudice was published at the time when Napoleon was rampaging through Europe. And now let's talk a little bit about how the first title of this book was First Impressions because I did talk a little bit about how it was a little more apt, but let's talk about it in more detail. First Impressions was Austen's original title. Though it was far less catchy, it conveyed perfectly Austen's important message. First impressions are often wrong. For example, Darcy's little sister is often mistaken for proud when she's simply shy. Other first impressions are dangerous. Pride prejudices one truly evil character is the slick seducer Wickham, who charms everyone, even Elizabeth, who prides herself on being nobody's fool. And lastly, well, not lastly, but kind of lastly. Technology might change, but human nature remains the same. Give cell phones to the youngest Bennett daughters, the boy-crazy shopaholics, Kitty and Lydia, and they would fit right into any high school. Their father is every baby boomer dad, ignoring both his upside-down mortgage and his out-of-control kids. The one homely Bennett female, Mary, is the 19th century version of an insecure, overachieving nerd. Hence, the eternal relevance of Pride and Prejudice. 
take a shot every time I say pride and prejudice. Do it. I'm sorry. Don't do that. Please don't do that. That's illegal. I think. And again, that's, yeah, I mean, that's all I want to say, actually. Because, like, I do have some other ideas, but I don't know if it would be appropriate to add them in this podcast, which is, yeah. But basically, I'm, I'm extremely sleepy and I still need to edit this podcast and put it up. So I'm going to end it here. And I hope you enjoyed the eternal relevance of Tried and Prejudice by your host, Ashna, on the podcast, The Upside of Irrelevance. And if you are new, please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. I had so much fun and I hope you did too. Bye-bye.